Hello, you are listening to the Bully Pew podcast brought to you by Protestia.com. This is a, a, let's say an off-schedule recording because I don't normally do a Bully Pew podcast on Saturday, but sometimes there are just things on your mind, things on your heart that uh, you believe you are being led to share with the rest of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I am recording again this this podcast, of course, brought to you by protestia.com and all of our wonderful and intrepid patron supporters who for $5.95 a month and up, which if you're counting is what, like one fancy coffee at, uh, at, a, at a bougie coffee shop, <laughs> you know, maybe two, like if you really stretch it out, uh, but $5.95 a month and up, you can support us financially. You get ad-free browsing on protestia.com, the full version of Protestia Tonight, which includes the PT VIP, where we answer sincere questions and you can drive the content of the program. Uh, there are also, there, there are higher levels of support that get you access to other things as well, but you guys, you probably kind of already know that. You've heard the spiel, so go, go to the website for the details. You can also subscribe to the Insurgency email list at protestia.com and get a convenient conveniently curated and very helpful uh, email in your inbox at least three days a week um, or six days if you do the paid version or if you subscribe on Patreon at any level at $5.95 a month or up. Send me a message. I will make sure you get added to the six-day-a-week version for free. Anyway, on to the reason why I'm recording on Saturday. It is it is a uh, spring snowy day, I suppose, in, in Denver, um, it's a weird combination of wet streets and still snow coming down and snow everywhere. Um, and yeah, it's, it's so a little bit different than the, uh, the, the normal conditions around here, believe it or not, it's usually very sunny. And so if you, if you, uh, hear me making a point or something like that, or really get into a subject matter and all of a sudden it goes silent or, you know, I say something that's not related at all to what we're talking about. It might be because, um, well, when it, when it gets, um, the weather gets like this, people start driving like crazy people or they, or they don't drive at all, or it's, it's, it's a little less predictable. So we'll, hopefully that won't affect too much the subject matter that I wanted to talk about. It's, um, it's come to my attention. And I think that as, as we flesh this out, it's going to become more obvious to, uh, to you as a, a fellow believer and listener uh, of, of our programming, somebody who I would, I presume is concerned about doctrine and practice and arguing for doctrine and practice and debating over the, the, the tenets of our faith and really even getting into the nitty gritty details. Um, your Christian walk is important enough to you that you are willing to look at, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly with an open Bible. And, um, recognize it for what it is and be willing, be, be willing to not look away, be willing to not, um, punt for, for the sake of your own feelings or your own emotional safety or the things that you value in this life, um, like relationships and, and, and other, the, the other reasons why that we might, um, hold back and not address something that is, uh, important something that is morally, ethically important, biblically important. Um, there are a lot of reasons why Christians um, very often sort of, uh, they, they, don't, um, they, they don't actually uh, confront these things. This is, this is pretty common, but it's become, it's, become pretty, it's become apparent to me, I should say, um, and I think it will become apparent to you as we explain this, that evangelical Christianity, um, the, the Christian walk, Christian culture, 
um, churches. I mean, how however we, we want to frame this, the the behavior and the actions and the um, really the beliefs in so many ways of a large amount of evangelical Christianity is suffering from a a cancerous disease that that I would argue has been around since before I was born and and probably before that, but it's it's only gotten worse uh, in more recent days. And it's something that is so, it's so pernicious that we don't even know that it's there. Um, It's just sort of become a part of who we are as, um, as the universal church, especially in Western societies, especially in um, the way that we do church here in the United States of America and other Western countries. Uh, This, this disease that we, uh, that we have, it, it prevents us in a lot of ways from, um, from growing the way that we're supposed to in our faith by really becoming um, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ in, in, in the full expression of what that should be. And without beating around the bush too much, uh, what I'm referring to is uh, our inability or our lack of understanding or our lack of practice of true uh, biblical justice towards one another. Um, we just we just don't do it. If you ask your average Christian, your 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 average believer, I mean, go try this. I mean, try this if you want to. Go to your church and ask um, one of your one of your fellow church members, um, one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, what they think about church discipline. What do you think about church discipline? They they will inevitably, almost universally, describe some sort of a uh, a corporate process. When, when somebody is, in, is committing um, a sin that is so egregious that uh, they've basically gone to war with the, the church and the church has to, you know, would, would bring them before the rest of the body and we would excommunicate them from the church. That's what they think when you say church discipline. And because of that, because, because the, it's been characterized that way, um, we just don't practice it. We don't do it. Now, the truth is, of course, if we actually go back to Matthew 18, 15, 16, and 17, we realize that the church, dis- this is where we get the framework for church discipline, that the vast majority of church discipline, almost all of it should be taking place um, by individual, with individual believers holding one another accountable. Um, not at the point where whatever the sinful behavior is has risen to a metastasized stage four level but with the little things, the little things that we do with each other um, that, are, uh, that are sinful things, and we sort of blow it off because, well, it's not that big of a deal. And rather than, than take care of it, rather than air it out, rather than um, humble ourselves with one another and bring things to each other, uh, instead we, we bury it inside. And the funny thing about this is if we were more committed to actually disciplining one another, church discipline is members of churches, members of the body of Christ disciplining one another. If we were more committed to actually doing this, we would engender a true spirit of humility that, that we, we would minimize, and this would, this would just happen, I'm, I'm convinced, our, the, the role that our emotions and our feelings play in all of this and we would 
we would actually be able to uh, grow with one another in the way that, that God intends for the body of Christ to grow together. This would also force us to really take, take account of what is sin and what is not sin. Both when, both when there are things that, that, are, that are truly sinful, biblically, that we prefer not be, we just don't want them to be, or we're, we're not willing to actually confront the fact that they are, and also those things um, that we like to, uh, at least in our own hearts and our own emotions, characterize as sin, but that aren't actually sins. It would force us to be really uh, accurate and, and judicious with those definitions for the sake of um, our brothers and sisters, for the sake of ourselves, for the sake of the, uh, the, um, the righteousness of, of the process, the righteousness of our interactions with one another. And instead, we've, we've really been caught in, you know, my, for my whole entire life, I've seen this from when I was a child all the way up until this week. I, I see instead kind of a vicious cycle downward where for convenience, for the sake of our feelings and the feelings of others, we, we employ sort of a different, a different framework, a different set of standards than what the Bible prescribes for uh, justice, for sin, for uh, how we are to uh, you know, engage in discipline with one another, how we're to love each other. Because remember, disciplining each other um, by, by the process that Christ laid out, that he described, is, is an expression of love not only for God and his word, but for one another. Not disciplining one another, deciding you're going to go off on your own and sort of apply your own standard and do your own thing is not loving. It's not loving the truth. It's not loving God and his word. It's not loving the brethren. It's loving yourself. It's loving yourself. And, and, it, and it's idolizing, potentially idolizing um, those temporal things of this world that scripture very clearly instructs you not to idolize. Um, you know, Christ said, if, if you, uh, do not, if, if, if you, you don't hate your father or mother, if you don't hate these, and he's not saying, of course, that you just like, just hate them automatically, but he's saying you can't be my follower if you are not willing to put aside, um, the, the relationships of this world, the temporal things of this world that you love, um, he, he, I mean, he said that. And so we, we have no call as believers to decide we're going to do, we're going to discipline one another in a way that is not consistent with scripture for, and, and then sort of write it off as, well, I'm just loving that person. I just, I, I really, I can't break the relationship. I really care about them. And, and we have no call to do that. That's not the biblical framework. And I think if we're honest with ourselves and we dig down to it, what we're really doing is saving ourselves. What we're really doing is saving ourselves from the heartache and the difficulty and the pain that, it, that we think is coming if we do, if we actually are open and transparent with one another, um, if we bear each other's burdens, if we confess our sins one to another, uh, we, we, we know that, that that's going to, we feel like that's going to be hard or we feel like, hey, the other person is going to have a negative reaction to this. And because that's a distinct possibility, I instead am not going to bring it up to him. And usually, usually when we don't bring it up to him, so our brother or sister sins against us, we have a, we have a, a grievance with them that really falls into the category of sin because that's the first thing that we got to do. The first thing that we should do as, as believers, as, those, as, as men and women of the book, 
who look to scripture is really figure out, is this a sin? Is it just a preference or is it a sin? Or is it a suspicion? Hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm because our brains do this, I'm assuming things about this person, about their motivations, about their heart, um, about what might be behind what I'm seeing, that I, I'm, I'm assuming things about them that are negative. I can't actually reliably tell them, hey, this is a sin, brother. You're sinning here or you're sinning against me or whatever it is. And yet I still am going to allow these things to affect the relationship. I'm going to allow these things uh, that I think I see um, to affect my treatment of this person, my reaction to them. And so we bury it inside and we, and we keep our own little secret list, our own little secret list of, of, of court decisions where our hearts and our emotions, our preferences are judge and jury. The other person won't even know that we've done this, of course. Um, and yet it will affect our, our, our treatment of them. It will, it will affect our, um, uh, what we think about them, where we place them sort of on our unofficial tally of uh, good versus bad people. You know, most Christians will be somewhere in the middle for us, right? They, they won't be someone who's doing everything exactly the way we want. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're not scoring 100 in, in our little personal uh, court that we, that we uh, preside over in our hearts. And also at the same time, they're not actually sinning in some way we can go to them and, you know, that, that we could even define as sin. Now, sometimes they are sinning and we just don't, we don't bring it up because we decide for ourselves it's not a big deal. You know, we do, of course, we do them a disservice because part of the reason that we discipline one another, part of the reason uh, that we hold one another accountable, uh, confess our sins one to another, bear each other's burdens is, is because we, not all of us see everything. And it is distinctly possible that we have believers, including ourselves, that, that may sin or be caught up in something. And very often that sin is based off of a false understanding or a false belief. And we need our brethren, we need our brothers and sisters to come to us with that and say, hey, you're, you know, this is wrong. You believe this falsely or, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this thing that I've seen in your life or this, this way you've treated me is, is sinful scripturally. And I love you enough that I'm going to bring it to you. And, you know, if, if, you know, if they repent, um, you, are, you are biblically obligated to forgive them of that and to forget about it like it didn't even happen, which is very difficult. This is a high wire act of Christian obedience and faith to do things in the way that the Bible prescribes. It is not, it's not an easy task. And yet we get empowered by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in, in the hearts of all believers, we, we're, enable, we're, we're capable of doing this by the power of God. And we're called to do it for, for one another. But this, this, uh, this tendency, this pervasive, uh, you know, just, you know, walking wounded type disease that evangelical Christians have is, is really related to the fact that we just don't do that for each other. Not really. Even the most orthodox and loving of us um, we don't do this. Instead, we, we decide that it's easier, it's always easier to take matters into our own hands, to uh, have, you know, cloak and dagger secret courts. And sometimes it's just the court in our own heart. Sometimes we do this by, uh, you know, talking with other believers about other believers in terms of their, their righteousness or their sin. We gossip, we commit the sin of gossip. By, by deciding that we are going to, uh, you know, really 
um, make statements or decisions or, you know, uh, discuss the, the, the morality or ethics of other believers behind their backs. And no, this is not um, gossip. We got to be very clear. Gossip is not just talking about anything and everything that somebody else doesn't want you to talk about, even if it involves them. So, so if I'm having a conversation with a fellow believer and that conversation I- involves another, uh, another brother of ours, um, that's not necessarily gossip. Um, it's, and th- what defines it as gossip is when we start uh, making decisions and judgments and airing opinions about that person um, without their involvement, um, it's, not, it's not like, well, you know, hey, we discussed what happened at church that one day. Um, and it involves, you know, this guy and this guy and this guy. We're, we're not, we're not speaking ill of them because that would be a sin. That's actually, that's, that's, that's not permitted scripturally. Um, but we're, we're stating the facts. This is what happened. This is what I saw. This is what, you know, and we love them. Um, but, but this isn't something where, uh, I think that they've, they've sinned or they've done something wrong, uh, biblically speaking, uh, in which case I would be obliged, I would argue to take that to them. Um, you know, at the very least involve them in the conversation so we can figure this out. But, you know, I mean, we've, we've all seen this, I think, where, where Matthew 18 is wielded as a cudgel to squelch uh, open and transparent conversation. Matthew 18 used as a, as a defense mechanism to shame somebody into shutting their, shutting their mouth about whatever issue we're, we're talking about. Um, and, and Matthew 18 is church discipline starting at, at the personal level and starting with, largely speaking, starting with the person who was sinned against. If your brother sins against you, most translations say, um, go to them. And if they repent, uh, then you've won your brother and that's the end of it. <clears throat> but I, we see Matthew 18 used all the time as this sort of uh, gray area, a sort of gray area uh, standard that we whip it out when we need to, when we need to, uh, shame somebody for, for talking about stuff we didn't want them to talk about. And that, and, and we, we might even claim that they're gossiping because you're, you're not allowed to say anything about me while I'm not there. Um, and what they really mean is you're not allowed to say anything about me when I'm not there because I don't like what you said. Uh, I disagree with it. I would rather not, um, I would rather you bury whatever your concerns are about me and it never bring them up. Even, even if we're very clear, they, we're not talking about sin here. We're just talking about, you know, maybe trying to get church ministry right or talking about, um, you know, our, our interactions with people, whatever that happens to be. I think very rarely does, does somebody uh, play the Matthew 18 card um, when we talk about them, uh, when, when we're talking about them when they're not there and it's positive. When we say, when we say, uh, good things about our brothers and sisters when they're not there. I've yet to see anybody say, um, yeah, you, you need to bring that to me in private. It's only, it's only with the, with the supposedly negative things and it'll be whipped out whether or not you've actually said somebody is sinning or not, whether or not you've broken confidence with something you've been told in confidence. Um, it's, it's actually, it's used as a control mechanism more often than it's used for correct church discipline. Um, but this, this, we, we, we end up with this and it, it plays out in so many different little ways 
we like I was listening to the a little as much as I could stomach because it was just it, it was it was just bad. It was a bad application. Scripturally, it was bad logically. I was watching um, Gavin Ortland on YouTube discuss the Alistair Begg situation, and the entire presentation was was peppered with uh, subjective feelings based assessments. I feel this. I feel that. Um, um, and and but of course, sort of used in a sly way to imply that they were somehow that, that what he was saying somehow had any moral or ethical uh, ground at all. Um, you know, th- th- those things are used very wishy-washy, and, and that's a relatively, honestly, that's a relatively uh, um, uh, unimportant or a relatively uh, low-priority example of this. But we we pepper our conversation as evangelicals with our feelings and almost unknowingly, unwittingly use our emotions uh, um, interchangeably with the, the bounds of God's word. Um, you know, so, so I'm listening to Gavin Ortland talk about this, uh, about, about Alistair Begg, and it's peppered with um, uh, things like, well, I feel like we should consider uh, you know his his long record of faithful ministry and this and that when we talk about this, which is just it's just rank partiality. It's rank partiality to say um, we're going to treat Alistair Begg differently than any other believer who would do or say the same thing because of who he is, because of the position he holds, because um, of his his faithful uh, you know track record of ministry. I mean, we all know, we all know, uh, uh, you know. Um, that Jesus demonstrated by parable the 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 truth that uh, that salvation that that um, forgiveness that the validity of, of of righteousness is not based off of works it's not based off of um, you know earn, build, earning up righteousness for ourselves by our faithful ministry it's based off of whether what we did was right or wrong sinful or not sinful true or untrue. And so to say something like, well, we should treat Alistair Begg differently than, than uh, other people for teaching the same falsehood because, well, he's got a faithful track record of this and that and the other is, is, is partiality. Um, it is, it is une- unequal weights and measures, and it's a sin. And yet we, we don't even think it's a sin because we're actually, if we admit it to ourselves, we're actually adjudicating this within the, within the court of our feelings. Our heart is holding court. And the Bible very clearly indicates that our heart is deceptive, it's deceitful. We are, we are called to return to God's word. We are called to uh, always and in every moment subject our feelings and our preferences and our thoughts, our conclusions, to what we know is true by Scripture. And yet time and time and time again, we as believers, rather than doing that, we create our own sliding scale standard for how we are going to approach sin, how we're going to approach treating one another, how we are going to approach discipline. Um, and in some cases, it's overt. In some cases, it's obvious that we're doing this and we let each other do it because, again, we're, we're now so far down the spiral, so far down the rabbit hole, that if one of us stood up and said, uh, brothers, this is not what the Bible teaches, there is no... Uh, there is no space between sin and righteousness that is based off of how we feel about something or our preferences. Like, like we would, sh- like the whole the whole room, or the, all the believers in the discussion would clutch their pearls and probably 
and probably call you uh, judgmental. It probably they would probably say uh, that's not Christ-like, or you're not being loving, or you're not being gentle, or you're not being patient, or you're not being—I mean, you name it. Name the the instruction for our heart condition that they would immediately start to judge externally against you. That's exactly how it would happen. And when you tried to defend yourself, when you said, uh, "No, I am being gentle um, before the Lord." Uh, my heart is in the right place. I'm doing this out of love. Um, first and foremost, for God and his word, and secondly, for you as my brothers in Christ. If you defended yourself, they would inevitably, they would have no choice but to come back with um, some sort of subjective determination that they've made. Well, I felt like you weren't gentle. Um, and, well, why did you feel like, well, I mean, they're, they're judging your behavior based off of their feelings. Um, there is no, and I would challenge anybody, any believer, any pastor, I don't care how long you've been preaching, how much seminary education you have, show me in scripture where in our actions with one another, where is the, where is the line of demarcation where a believer crosses over from um, being gentle in their interactions to not being gentle? When it crosses over from being patient to being impatient, you won't find it. Now, what, is that, what does that show for us? What should that tell us about these things? Because the Bible does very clearly say, Scripture does very clearly command believers to, to, um, to be gentle, to be patient, to be loving, kind, long-suffering. I mean, all of these things that we are instructed to be, and yet we don't have an actual line scripturally where we know, oh man, I've crossed over. I was gentle and now I'm not. I was not sinning and now I'm sinning. And this should indicate to us, think about it critically, this should indicate to us that those things are not for, for us to judge in one another. We can't actually see them. And yet we are held to account for them by God. God as the one who sees the heart. Um, that these are things that we are instructed and commanded to do before God. But don't kid yourself, um, you're not capable of judging these things in another person. You don't see their heart. The Bible very clear that God sees the heart and man sees the external things. We see behavior. We can judge the validity of what someone professes or what they teach, what they confess. Those things are for us to judge with one another. Those are part of the process. You know, judging those things is part of the process of loving our neighbors as ourselves, of loving um, brothers and sisters in Christ enough to be willing to discipline them. That's the realm that these things fall into. And yet it's, it's like, it's just automatic with evangelicals. It's automatic with pastors. It's automatic with uh, those involved in ministry and, and those in the pews. They instead, they decide to hold court in their hearts and they whip out Bible verses um, that command us to do things that they can't possibly know and attempt to apply them judiciably to each other. They attempt to judge one another based off of them. And if you dare ask, what is your standard for this? Like, okay, you're, so you're saying I'm not being loving. I'm not showing love. Okay, how am I not showing love? The only place they can go the only place they can go is their own feelings. I felt bad. 
you said something. I felt bad. Now, if I've said something that's unloving, um, that's truly unloving in my heart, um, presumably it will manifest itself in something that they actually can adjudicate. Like, um, because of my lack of love or patience or gentleness, um, my, my lack of willingness to seek peace, I have told you something that is false. I have um, lied to you. I've deceived you. I've manipulated you. Um, I have taught falsely. I've, I've proclaimed things that are untrue. Now, all of a sudden, we're into something that should, and, and uh, you know, by God's graces, should be judged among one another. And I would pray and hope that if I do that, for instance, that other believers bring it to me, that they are willing to risk my feelings and their own feelings and our relationship for the sake of the sanctity of the word of God, for the sake of the truth. This is, this is how we mature one another. This is how we insist that fellow believers set aside their own preferences and their own feelings and their own emotions in pursuit of uh, sanctification, in pursuit of um, our love for the truth of God's word. Um, the corollary, of course, as we set aside our preferences, we set aside our pride, we set aside our temporal desire for comfort. Um, the corollary of that, the flip side of that, is that it engenders true humility. Humility in Christian circles these days is used as a buzzword. It's used, it's used as a marketing term, like servant leader. It's used as a marketing term, but it's not really lived out in any sort of biblical way most of the time. Most of the time we, we say, well, we should be humble. And by humble, we mean uh, that if another person feels bad, shut your pie hole. Don't talk to them. Um, defer, defer to another person's feelings. Let them, let them be in charge. And by in charge, I mean not, not defer when they bring you scripture. And the truth of God's word is a brother in Christ, but defer defer to um, their preferences on the situation. Well, they wish they wish you would have said it differently. They can't they they can't actually accuse you of sin, but they wish you had said it differently. And if you're truly humble, you will defer to that. You will take into account uh, every possibility for their emotional reaction to this. Which I mean, logically speaking, there's no bottom to that. And we've talked about this before, but if you allow, if we allow as believers, the uh, potential reaction of another believer to dictate um, our uh, proclamation of truth, um, our willingness to bring things to them, our willingness to, to, to discipline, do the hard work of sharpening one another, if we allow their potential emotional reaction to be the arbiter of whether that's okay or not, there's no end in sight. Um, you will never be gentle enough. You will never be loving enough. Um, you will never, you will never find a hill to die on. Um, Christian leaders, I mean, say so often things like, well, I don't think this is a hill to die on. I'm not sure it's worth the price of, of dealing with this or confronting it. And, and very often they're looking at something that is objectively sinful, scripturally sinful. And, and they decide that they're going to play God in this moment. And they're going to say, um, yes, I, I know it's sinful. I acknowledge it's sinful. I believe it's sinful. It's, it, this has been done or this you know, involves brothers and sisters in Christ. But it, it has the potential to cause them harm 
And by that, of course, they don't mean cause them actual spiritual harm. They, they mean cause harm to their feelings. They're going to feel bad. They're going to be hurt by this, um, not spiritually, but temporarily. Um, they're going to, the, the, our relationship is going to become harder. I'm not going to have access to them. Um, it's going to hurt me to know that they think ill of me. And that hurts my feelings and my heart. And so they, the, they say, well, you know, I don't know if this is the hill to die on. You know, yes, it's, I mean, I, I, I'm even willing to acknowledge that what, what you're describing here is an issue of sin. Um, but I don't think it's worth the price. Guess what? That's not for you to determine. That's not your job. That's not loving them. That's not actually being obedient to scripture. So in a situation like this, you have a couple different options. Because very often, I mean, these, these conversations happen in the gray area, right? Where you can't actually say, hey, so-and-so is in sin. Here's where it is in Scripture. They've sinned in this way. Um, you can't actually say that. But it, it might be something like, well, I'm concerned about how they did da-da-da-da-da. Um, I think, and what they're really saying, and they don't want to admit it, is this, this thing I've seen with them or whatever, I can't say it's a sin, but it makes me suspicious that there are all sorts of other sins that I can't see, or their heart's not in the right place, or their motives are improper, you know, so on and so forth. And so because they can't call it an actual sin, they wind up in that gray area of trying to judge, is this really worth bringing up? And if it's not an actual sin, they wind up either burying it, they don't bring it up, um, and they just hold it against you later. You know, it's just, you go on the board in their heart. Um, you, you, you go on the, on the tally board of, well, I'm not so sure this person is, is kosher. You know, I'm not sure they're, they're with the program or, or they sort of bring it up to the person in kind of like a, uh, a half hearted, uh, you know, one foot in one foot out lukewarm way. And they'll say things like, well, we're not saying you're sinning here. I'm not saying you're in sin. Um, but I have concerns. I'm not saying you're in sin, but you can see how this would, you, you, you can see how, you know, this, this might be a bad idea or whatever, or you can see why this might not be the best way to say or do or teach or whatever, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever, whatever it is. Um, obviously that happens a lot when it comes to things that can't actually be defined biblically as sin. Their preferences. Um, but even when the thing is sin, we very often wind up in that conversation of, uh, you know, I don't know if this is worth it. I don't know if the price, the, the price paid uh, for this. I mean, the, the risk of doing this is that other believers are going to have bad reactions and it's going to cause further, you know, whatever. It's going to split the church. It's going gonna, it's gonna to divide people. It's going to be divisive. Um, and, and I would submit to you with an open Bible before the Lord, that is not our job. Our job is not to decide what um, sins we are, we, we allow one another to commit. That is not our job. It's not loving to one another. It's not, it's not mature Christian behavior as defined by Scripture. Um, and yet we do it all the time. It's constant, it's consistent, it's pervasive, it's all over church culture. And it's been there for so long that I would submit most of us don't even realize it. We actually, in, in some ways, like we think it's okay. 
I suspect there might be some of you listening to this who 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 are in your mind like wrestling with it, like you think I'm being too harsh, you think I'm being inaccurate. You're thinking of those exceptional situations where it's like, yeah, David, I know that if we actually open the Bible and and apply what it says, we're gonna wind up in, the, in what you're saying. This will be our conclusion. Um, but you know, there was this one situation. You know, there was this one situation where I, in my Christian wisdom, um, decided to do it differently. And it wound up being okay. We're going to go to that exceptional situation why, by God's grace and his long suffering with us, we did what was wrong and it still turned out okay. That ha- and by the way, that happens all the time. That doesn't, but that doesn't excuse um, not following God's word on these issues. We, we can't take those exceptions. And, and of course, there are always exceptions that relate to us. You know, they're, they're, they're always that, that Alistair Begg situation where it's like, yeah, I know that, that you, you shouldn't be encouraging somebody to, um, to attend and thereby uh, in, indeed affirm something that God hates. So we have a celebration here where, where two people are basically flipping the bird to God, having a, a, a mockery, a celebration that is a mockery of a God-ordained union and covenant. And, you know, we're going to give you advice that you should go anyway. Um, but in a different situation, and you heard, by the way, Alistair Begg said this. In a different situation, I might give totally different advice. So you can see he admits he, subju- he subjected the truth, the, the factual truth of the matter to the people involved. All of us do this. All of us do this. You know, we, we say something like, well, I know the Bible says that if I have professing, professing believers who are um, unrepentant in immorality, that I am to have nothing to do with him. I'm not even to eat with such a person. But, but I mean, this situation is different. This is my loved one. This is my family member. This is, and, and, and yes, they profess Christ. Um, and I know that they're, that, that they're sinning here. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's just, it's going to be too hard. It's going to be too hard. It's going to, you know, other people nearby are going to be hurt by it. And so therefore I, I am choosing not to obey the very clear tenets of God's word on this. Um, you know, I, it wouldn't shock me and I have no evidence of this, but it wouldn't shock me if there's an LGBTQ, uh, practicing person in Alistair Begg's life or family. Um, on that issue, this is usually how it starts when somebody um, moves their theology and doctrine off of what the Bible very clearly teaches onto something that it doesn't. It's very often at the point of idolatry for our love for our family members. Again, we're unwilling to hate our mother and father, brothers and sisters, uh, to follow Christ. And um, we excuse it. We punt, we, we compromise, we get pragmatic. We say we're not willing to, not only are we not willing to actually discipline one another, as Scripture would, would um, instruct us to, we're not willing to be disciplined. We're not willing to set aside our idols of feelings and preference and relationships and reputation um, and we may call those things a bunch of other, uh, we, we, we might, uh, bob and weave and make excuses. Uh, we might say things like, Hey, I'm doing this to protect the unity of the church. 
I'm not going to discipline uh, my brothers and sisters nor be disciplined by them um, in accordance with Scripture. I'm not going to set aside my feelings because I'm protecting the church. After all, I mean, if, if people in the church here get their feelings hurt, that will cause disunity. Um, and instead, is there not a better, a, like a more nuanced or, or tongue-in-cheek compromised way that we can do this? That way they don't get mad and leave and go to other churches or whatever. I mean, there's a hundred different ways that we, that we uh, excuse ourselves out of this out of being obedient. And I would submit that this is the, this is the rule in evangelicalism, not the exception. The exception, the exception is Christians who are actually willing to be humble and transparent with one another and bear one another's burdens, confess their sins one to another, um, be faithful to not judge one another for things that are not sin. Um, even, even, I mean, you know, willing to tell those, tell, tell uh, fellow believers what your preferences might be, but very, very clear. I'm not saying you're in sin. I don't believe you're in sin here. Scripture doesn't say you're in sin. Just so we're clear about this. And I would say that that's, that's probably a good practice because the, this court of emotions is so pervasive. The subjectivity is so pervasive, this gray area between, um, judiciable sin as demonstrable in scripture and, another person doing exactly what we want, that's pervasive. That's how we do it these days. We, we live in this gray area of, of um, self-protection and cowardice. And we write it off as this is caring for the other person, as if somehow your actions and deeds can be loving for a fellow believer without being first loving to God and his word. You know, I would encourage all of us to really take a take take a step back, study scripture, and pray um, that we will have the love for one another and the courage to not do this, to not create a a scale in our own minds by our own feelings and preferences between sin and um, getting our way on everything, and that that's what we use when we lovingly discipline one another. And when I say lovingly, I'm not talking about your tone. I'm not talking about uh, you deciding what, what sins that you're going to approach your brother with versus not based off of how he might feel about it. I'm talking about love for the truth, love for the validity of what Christ taught us to do, what the Bible teaches us to do for one another. True humility, open yourself up, admit to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, my heart wasn't in the right place on this. And yes, that's a sin against God, um, but to the extent that it manifested in sin against you, I am sorry. Please hold me accountable. Please bring me things. Um, if you believe I'm sinning, don't don't let me hang out there. Don't, you know, please love me enough to approach me if you see sin in my life. If you think you see sin in my life, approach me with it. That's what the that's what the first step of Matthew 18 process is for. So you bring your brother a sin. You say, hey, brother, you've sinned against me here. This is a sin. Um, and I'd like you to, to repent of that, change, uh, you know, ask for forgiveness, do the things you're supposed to do. And he says, actually, uh, this, was, this was the situation. Or actually, I was doing this, and you're mistaken. 
um, allow that process to happen. If you don't allow it to happen, you're just holding grudges, you're burying things, um, you're, you're treating one another with unequal weights and measures based off of what you think you know um, about a person that you weren't willing to actually give to them in love. It is, it's a selfish and it's a sinful and ultimately it's a hateful thing to do, to do it any other way. Anyway, I hope that um, I hope that this uh, Bully Pew podcast was helpful to you. Stay tuned to protestia.com for all the latest in Christian polemics and discernment news. Have a good rest of your weekend. Go to church and worship with the saints. And if you're in Colorado, maybe I'll see you there. As always, Semper Reformanda. <laughs>